Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a guest that is going to tell us and teach us a lot about the cannabis industry, about licenses, I mean you name it, and then also about law. So uh, I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Sam Dorf. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So originally from Chicago, Illinois. So how was life growing up there? Uh, growing up in Chicago, uh, it's been great. You know, I was uh, born and raised in Chicago, grew up in the northern suburbs, uh, and I now reside in the city where I have for the last uh, 10 years. So it's, it's been great growing up in Chicago. So why, why did you move to Kansas? Well, uh, when, I was in, uh, when I was in high school, uh, you know, one of the schools that I always endeared was the University of Kansas uh, for the basketball team, funnily. And, uh, you know, that's why I went to the University of Kansas and had a lot of good friends uh, that went there. Got it. And obviously now, you know, you've, you've had this incredible entrepreneurial journey, but what really got you into thinking that, you know, maybe the attorney or, or, or being a lawyer would be the path forward for you? Well, yeah. So, so when I graduated uh, the University of Kansas in 2008, and my father was a floor trader at the Chicago Board of Trade, and that was always something that I uh, wanted to do. You know, he was a, uh, a solo trader and uh, always an entrepreneurial uh, individual. So when I graduated, I went down to the floor of the Board of Trade. And obviously in 2008, that's when you know the world fell apart. So as I was stood there on the Chicago Board of Trade and uh, realizing that uh, floor trading wasn't an option anymore, I sat there and I realized you know I needed another set of skills uh, to continue on in my entrepreneurial career. And that's when I decided uh, to go to law school. Very cool. And, you know, I'm a recovering lawyer, so I, I know the drill. So, uh, yeah, and also, yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess, I guess, you know, obviously I know how it applied for myself, but how do you think it has helped you being, having that legal background as a, as an entrepreneur? Yeah. You know, I think that the legal background helps in a couple different ways. One, you know, you, you think differently, uh, you, you understand the art of the deal, uh, in, in, in the ins and the outs, what can potentially hurt you and, and what to look for. And, you know, second, I think it really helps because it gives you a seat at the table. Uh, for me personally, uh, when I got in the cannabis industry, I was really one of the youngest guys in the industry in Illinois. But due to the fact that I was an attorney, uh, it really gave me a seat at the table and gave me some credibility. Got it. And let's talk about that point in time where there's a friend of you that starts a dispensary of marijuana and it's like a, like a wow moment for you. Yeah. So when I was uh, at John Marshall Law School in Chicago around 2010, 
Uh, that's when the cannabis program in Colorado had just getting kicked off. And I had a close friend of mine from uh, the University of Kansas who moved back to Denver, and he opened up one of the first dispensaries in Denver, Colorado. And I watched his, uh, you know, he, he needed some help raising some capital and structuring the deal. Uh, and I helped him. We had a bunch of different conversations regarding it. And I watched his company start to explode. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a new industry that's coming online. And that was really my wow moment in around 2010, 2011, and watching his company just explode in the new market in Colorado. And, and why didn't you say, you know, after seeing that and being attracted to it, why didn't you, like, pursue that? you know, farther at that point, because obviously you went at it and, you know, as a lawyer and you started your own firm. Yeah. So, so what was unique at that time is that in the state of Colorado and still almost to today, they don't allow you to own equity in any of the uh, dispensaries or cultivations unless you're a two-year resident. Uh, and obviously I was Chicago born and raised. I was just here, you know, finishing up my law career and I wasn't going to move to Colorado. So, you know, I, at that point I was realizing, you know, I couldn't get into the cannabis industry unless it was coming to my home state. Interesting. So obviously you you continued and you started being a criminal and foreclosure lawyer. So what were you exactly doing? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. So, you know, always being entrepreneurial. Uh, when I was in law school, I worked for a couple of criminal defense attorneys in the city of Chicago. And when I graduated, I, I worked for an attorney for about four to five months. And I realized quite quickly that I couldn't work for anybody, that I really wanted to build something of my own. So I decided to break off after, you know, four to five months working at a firm and start my own law firm. Uh, so, you know, I opened up a shop in the, on the western side of Chicago and started doing, you know, criminal defense and foreclosure defense. And then also in the, on the side, you were flipping houses. So tell us about that. Yeah, well, you know, the legal career wasn't making much money as uh, I just opened the door and, you know, kind of didn't realize the, the high barriers to entry. So I, you know, at that time, you know, flipping houses, which is kind of coming online. And I had a couple of friends that were in the, the tax business. Uh, we would buy back taxes. So I started getting involved in buying back taxes on properties in Cook County and uh, flipping houses. So, you know, we started out with one and then we started moving to about, you know, five to seven houses a year, uh, which really generated my revenue. Because how, how did that work? I mean, were you just buying a property and then you would like uh, redo it and then resell it? Or, or what was the process like? Yeah, pretty much so. So, we, you know, we'd buy a property, uh, you know, that was heavily distressed, uh, redo it and then, you know, and flip it. Very cool. So then let's talk about a really big point in time for you. And that's the point where in 2014, Illinois comes with the medical marijuana program. What, what did this open up for you? Yeah. So around 2014, that's when Illinois uh, decided that they were going to allow for a medical cannabis licensure. And it was a very unique program. You know, it was the first time in, out of any of the states that they really had this merit-based application process where they were going to have a whole, you know, really in-depth uh, application process to allow for 21 cultivation licenses and 60 dispensaries. And at that point, I was like, this is my opportunity. Uh, so I decided to, to really put all my effort towards, you know, going for these licenses. And was that something that you read on the press or, or a friend told you about it? Or, or how did you know about this? Yeah, it was all over the news. Uh, it, it came out that Illinois passed, you know, a medical cannabis program, and I decided I was going to go for it. And, you know, everybody thought I was absolutely crazy. Why did they think you were crazy? Uh, they thought I was crazy in the sense that, you know, the, you know, the way that the laws were in Illinois, just in generally how things work and how the laws were, you know, structured that the most political savvy individuals and the most high net worth individuals were going to be the ones that, you know, won the licenses. And here I was, a 27-year-old kid flipping houses, running you know, a small law firm, 
and I wanted to throw my hat in the ring, you know, and everybody's like, you know, there's no shot. You're going to be able to get these licenses, man. You know, you're not politically connected. You're not well uh, uh, financed. Like, there's no way you're going to be able to do this. Yeah, especially because the number that you mentioned, I mean, it's uh, it's quite low. I mean, probably, you know, I mean, I would have assumed that there was a lot of people, you know, like with interest on it. So so what was the, the application process like? Yeah, so the application process, you know, was it was very intense. You know, it was something you had, you had to have a $2 million bond uh, for the application. You had to have a research plan. You had to have, you know, local uh, municipality approval, letters of recommendation, a whole, uh, you know, and, and then your whole team, which was a really large dynamic of the application. And basically on that on that point, I want to ask you like here that the, um, that, so I mean, it seems like, um, like um, you know, all these different processes, they take time and it, and probably is very frustrating. So I'm just wondering like for you, this moment, how, how long did it take, let's say, from the beginning till the end until you got, like, let's say, your first license? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So it was, you know, what I started doing from day one is I started going to every single event. I was like, all right, I'm the youngest guy in the room. So every single event that would be hosted in the city of Chicago by a law firm or a lobbyist or a consultant, I went to. So I started meeting all of the people that were in the industry, and I started kind of form my own little team. And then I, you know, one of the really unique things in the state of Illinois is that, again, as I said, you have to have, you have to have local approval. So I started taking my dad and we would drive the entire state of Illinois uh, looking for local approval. And we found this town in uh, Western Illinois called Galesburg, and I was able to secure this approval. And in that process of, of going to the events and finding the approval, I mean, that was, that was eight, nine months in the working from then. And then I started trying to raise the capital that was required for it. Um, and you know, that was a whole nother, probably six month process. So, you know, from the time I, you know, actually started the process and networking and trying to raise the capital to the time I had met my uh, partners who I partnered up with, it was about an 18 month, uh, process from when the application came out to when I applied and, you know, we found out we won. And how was the conversation with your father when, you know, because obviously here you are, you know, a lawyer and being a lawyer, you know, is a super respected, you know, career and it takes a lot, you know, passing the bar, all of that good stuff. And, you know, here you are telling your father that you, you want to go after the, the medical marijuana. How, how was that conversation with him? Yeah, no. So it, it was actually an incredible conversation. It was, you know, I, I came to my father and I told him, I said, dad, listen, I, you know, I want to get involved in the cannabis industry. I'm you know, going to shut down the law firm. And, uh, you know, he looked at me and he goes, listen, he goes, my, you know, he was a prosecutor uh, for the state of Illinois uh, from when he was 28 years old to 32 years old. And it was 30, when he was 32 years old, he, uh, his, he, his friends were all down at the Chicago Board of Trade and they told him that he had to come down there because it was an opportunity of a lifetime. And, you know, he's like, you guys are crazy. You know, I'm a, I have my legal career here. What am I going to go do down on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade? So, you know, Ultimately, they convinced him to leave the, uh, the prosecutor's office, and he went down to the Chicago Board of Trade, and he had an unbelievable career. And, it, you know, he, he left the law field at 32 and went down and started trading and traded for 31 years. And he looked at me, he goes, listen, he's like, this is the time. If you believe there's an opportunity, he's like, I did the same thing in my life. And he was the most supportive I could have ever asked of him. Uh, you know, and, and it was really interesting because a lot of his friends, you know, they were in shock. You know, they, they, they almost gave him a hard time about how did you how did you let your son get involved in the cannabis industry? Because you, know, you got to remember back in 2014, you know, it was still um, it was still a little bit sketchy yeah. uh, and, and it just wasn't where it was today. So, you know, 
uh, he was he was extremely supportive of everything I did. And obviously, he has played a, a key role, and he made a key introduction. So tell us about this lawyer friend that he had. Yeah, so so when I was in this process and trying to raise the money, you know, it was really difficult raising. You know, even at that point, it was a couple hundred thousand dollars, about five hundred thousand uh, dollars. But I had the land secured, and he was out to dinner one night with one of his friends who was representing a group out of New York, who at that time was one of the largest cannabis companies uh, at, to, at that time. Uh, and they were looking for an Illinois partner who had uh, local support and land. And my father told them, well, my son is doing this at the same time, and he's got the local support, he's got the land, we should introduce them. So uh, he set up the meeting, and they came in from New York. They're all ex-Goldman Sachs guys. And we set up the meeting, and we hit it off. And uh, we formed a partnership for me to merge into their company and be their Illinois partner. Very nice. And then you went into this association. So what was this association about? Yeah. So after we won the, so at that point we applied for the license. Uh, we won one of the 21 cultivation licenses in the state of Illinois. We won one of the 60 dispensaries and uh, one of uh, six in the city of Chicago. And what happened very quickly is that all the winners from the association, uh, all the winners um, from the different teams, we formed an association um, to lobby and to represent uh, the licenses. And I was the representative of our uh, of our license in Illinois. And through that process, uh, that's, you know, I kind of, I knew all these guys because I was the guy who, you know, had met them all previously from going out for drinks and meeting. And, and uh, so it was pretty cool all being together in the association at that time. And, you know, it's it's really interesting. Something that, that came up to me right now, you know, is uh, as we're really discussing like these numbers, I mean, there are small numbers, you know, the, the, the licenses that were given out. Uh, I guess how many applications were for every license that, that was granted? Do you know? Yeah, so there was over 300 applications for the dispensaries and over, I think it was like close to 200 something for the cultivation licenses. Okay. Okay. Very. Yeah. So it was an extremely, extremely competitive process. And again, you know, everybody that was applying was politically connected and high net worth individuals and had these unbelievable applications. Got it. So at this point also, you met your, your co-founder, is that right? Yeah. So at that point, uh, you know, through the process, you know, I realized I kind of wanted to break off on my own again. Uh, and I met an individual named uh, George Arcos. He he won one of the cultivation licenses uh, in Illinois, uh, and we just we just hit it off. George is also one of the younger guys, and he came from an unbelievable operating background. He run a, he ran a bunch of restaurants, and still to this day owns them in the city of Chicago. Uh, so I I approached him and I said, "Listen, Maryland's coming up uh, pretty soon. Uh, you know, I think I'm really good at putting together these applications and you know doing all the grunt work on the ground." You're a good operator. Let's let's partner up. And how how much do you think the perhaps your legal background helped here? Well, it, it helped because he thought I was crazy. He's like, "How are you going to be able to do this?" I'm like, "Don't worry, I'm a lawyer. I got this." And uh, so I think you know he respected me a little bit more because I was uh, I had just gone to law school, had done opened up the law firm, flipping houses. So I think he uh, he knew I was an entrepreneur that you know wouldn't say no. Very cool. So what happened next? So, so after we partnered up, you know, we applied for uh, a cultivation and dispensary in Maryland, uh, and we were successful there. And and we came together, and uh, you know, we won one of the fifteen licenses there, and one of the dispensaries. And from there, you know, we just kind of, you know, just started to build a company and really come together um, and started to look at, you know, the overall landscape with the desire, uh, you know, to go after more markets. You know, it, it kind of really. It assured me after we, you know, we'd won in Maryland that, you know, we kind of knew what we were doing from these merit-based application processes. And I guess for the people that are listening, maybe that are not um, that familiar with the cannabis industry, if you had to kind of like explain, you know, in a very simple way, 
what the ecosystem looks like because we're talking about the dispensaries, we're talking about perhaps the regulators as well. What what does the ecosystem look like, you know, as a whole? If you had to describe it from a thirty thousand foot view. Yeah, so so from thirty thousand foot view, you know, there's there's two different types of markets. Okay, you have your markets that are like California, Colorado, you know, Washington, Oregon, where pretty much anybody can go and get a license. All you have to do is you know have either maybe have proper zoning. Um, and, and show you know a couple thousand dollars in funding, and you can open up a cultivation center. And those markets become very saturated. Then there's other markets that are these limited licensed markets, like Illinois and Maryland and New Jersey and Ohio, where the state puts out an uh, RFP uh, process where they have these merit-based applications, and they're extremely intense applications, anywhere from 1,500 pages sometimes upwards to 3,000. And you have to have background checks and security plans and local approvals and just very, very in-depth application process, you know, and there's all sorts of types of uh, uh, consulting that, you know, comes into play and a lot of strategy on where you go and how you tell your story. And in these states, when when there's limited licenses, obviously, uh, there's a lot more at risk because, you know, there's the application might cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars and and you might lose. Uh, So, you know, there's, there's, it's a lot, the barrier to entry is also is higher and the, the risk is higher. And what we've seen a lot of these other markets is that, you know, there's different licensures, right? You might have one for a dispensary. You might have one for a processing license. You might have one for a a cultivation center. And for us, it's always been important to be a vertically integrated cannabis company. What that means is you control it from seed to sale. So you own the cultivation license, you own the production license, and then you ultimately own, you know, multiple retail locations. Because if you can control the whole ecosystem within that state, Again, you got to remember, cannabis can only be grown and sold within that state. It can't cross border to border. You can control your own destiny against, you know, any type of market change, pretty much. So you can't, for example, like have marijuana that grows, let's say, in Colorado and then take it to, to Illinois? Correct. If it grows in Colorado, it can only be sold in Colorado. Got it. Got it. Very interesting. So then how did you guys go about scale? Because, you know, after you had this operation going, then you start to hear, you know, what's going on in Maryland and in other states. So tell us about how you went about scaling this. Yeah, so so scale, uh, quite honestly, was very difficult for us. Uh, Unlike some of our other competitors who, you know, right from the start in Illinois or even Maryland, uh, you know, had really sophisticated, high net worth uh, teams you know, it was really just George and I. And uh, one thing we realized, you know, quite quickly is that, you know, we weren't good at raising capital is that, you know, through our networks, we knew successful people, but we didn't ultimately know very wealthy people. Um, And these, in these businesses are very capital intensive. So, you know, just kind of like everything else I had done, you know, we just really, really just, it scrapped everything together. Um, And we, again, we, we struggled with scaling it because we weren't able to raise, you know, the proper capital. That being said, what we were able to do is, you know, self-finance enough of it to get by. And what it did is it created us to become very good operators um, and operate, you know, um, very frugally, but also put out, you know, a very high pr- uh, quality product. Right. Uh, so, you know, that that was kind of really the early days. Uh, it, w- it was hard to scale, but, you know, through winning the licenses, through the merit-based application process, it also gave us con- continuously, we were able to expand within the state. Because although, you know, you, you didn't have, you know, the tens of millions of dollars to hire all these, you know, these, these consultants and build out your buildings and, uh, you know, do these huge raises, 
we were able to win these licenses for a very low cost because we did them all internally. Got it. And I guess, you know, when you're saying, for example, that it's a capital intensive business, what would you say is the area that requires that requires the most money? Yeah, I would say that the area that, you know, that requires the most cap is the most capital intensive is, is certainly on the cultivation side. Um, you know, to, to build out the cultivation centers, you know, you're looking at, you know, anywhere from, you know, 10 to upwards of $20 million to build out these buildings. And, you know, again, what, you know, what's unique about the cannabis space is that you can't get traditional financing. Uh, you know, you, you can't go to a bank and get a mortgage on a building or, you know, get, you know, finance construction loan financing. Everything really is, is cash on cash uh, up until, you know, the last, I don't know, six to 10 months per se. Got it. So then let's talk about the um, the moment where you guys meet JJR, because this was like a breakthrough moment for you guys. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so as I was saying, we had a lot of trouble raising capital, but, we, you know, we still kept expanding. So, you know, uh, at this point, George and I just, you know, we just kept rolling from state to state and we won in Illinois and Maryland and then went Ohio and then Nevada and then, you know, um, uh, Arkansas. And one of our competitors, uh, Green Thumb Ministries, uh, decided, you know, went out public on the Canadian Stock Exchange at $750 million. And I called George that night and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, you know, we have the same assets as these guys and they're valued at $750 million. Like we got to pull this together and we got to do a real capital raise here, rebrand our company. Cause at that point we were branded all these different things. It was, it was really kind of a hodgepodge of licenses put together. Cause we didn't have a real, you know, marketing and branding team. So we started going up to Toronto at that point. Cause that's where really the capital markets were, um, were up in Toronto. Because as I'm sure you guys know, is that, uh, you know, the Canadian Stock Exchange at that point, they had the canopies and the tillrays, and there was a lot of investors that were willing to get in the cannabis space, unlike Illinois, uh, unlike uh, the United States. So we went up to Toronto and we started meeting all these different guys. And quite honestly, they, they, none of them were good fits. And then, you know, then after we went up there for about 10 different, about 10 months. And on our last visit, we met these guys from JJR Capital and we just we hit it off from day one. And within 48 hours, we struck a deal with them uh, to raise around $88 million. And we then we added another license with one of their friends, which became about a $120 million raise. Uh, so it, it was it was a wild experience. I can't imagine. I mean, 120 in, in 48 hours. I mean, it's unbelievable. What, what do you think triggered, you know, for the deal and for everything to go so quickly? Well, they saw us as that. I mean, you know, we were a clean cannabis company. We were profitable. We were, you know, we were, we were really lean and mean. Uh, so not only do we have all these assets, uh, you know, we had, didn't have a, you know, a huge valuation on our company yet because we, again, we were really self-financing it and just raising, you know, as we had gone. So it created a really solid opportunity for them to come in uh, into a really awesome basket of, uh, of assets as well as with really good operators. And then again, which was some of the most important thing is we all got along and we shared the same vision. So uh, yeah, we, when we raised $120 million, which was the largest uh, privately held cannabis raise at the time, uh, we partnered up with them and, you know, which was great to add a lot of capital market experience at the same time. So we got all this, they got a lot with us and we got a lot with them at the same time. That's pretty amazing because at this point where you guys say we're striking the deal, how many licenses did you have? At that point, we had about, we had north of uh, 50 licenses and we were in about nine states, licenses in nine states. 
That's amazing. And just out of curiosity, how 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 has, for example, like a license increased in value over time since, let's say, 2014, where where you started to to see this happening? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So the licenses have, have increased exponentially uh, to a degree that I you know I, I couldn't even have imagined, and and that's really due to the fact that in, in these states that it, it, they, they've increased as states have uh, relaxed their their medical programs. You know, when we first started this, this in this industry, you know, there was really strict guidelines and uh, around getting a medical cannabis card. So you had really low patient counts. And then if you have low patient counts, you know, you have, you know, low sales. So all of a sudden, as I'm sure, you know, you've seen in, you know, all throughout the U.S., more states have been coming online and these states have gone from medical to recreational markets. Uh, you know, the values of these licenses have just increased and increased. And just like to provide an example, so maybe the people listening, you know, get an idea, like how much would you say is a license today, let's say in Illinois? And in Illinois to, to yeah. get a cultivation license now, I mean, you know, some of the, the last cultivation licenses were trading, you know, close to $20 million. Uh, and dispensaries have traded even, you know, uh, higher than that, upwards of $25 million. Wow. And that compared, let's say, to 2014, what were the numbers then? Oh, 2014, you probably could have picked one up for, you know, four to five million dollars, you know. And again, it's just, it's, you know, as the patient numbers have been rising, you know, we've seen the stigma reducing it, you know, in, in the U.S. And that, and, and that as well, you know, really has increased the values of these licenses. So you got obviously the 120 million. What happens next? Because, I mean, now you have all this money. I mean, you, you got to deploy and you need to execute. So what was what was the most immediate step after? Yeah. So at that point, right after we raised the capital, you know, we were really marching towards going public on the Canadian stock exchange, uh, you know, because that's what a lot of our peers were doing at that time. Uh, and that's, and that was another way to, you know, access even more capital as well as create, you know, liquidity for, for your investors. So as we were about to go public, I was sitting there in my office and I was, you know, again, George and I had a coming to Jesus moment. Like, do we really you know, want to run a public company right now? Uh, and as well as, you know, at that point it was in December of 2018, the public markets were, uh, they were pretty choppy at that time for the cannabis industry. So we, you know, we sat there for a month really pondering, uh, the question. Uh, and at that point, all of a sudden, all of our peers and, you know, other companies that were similar to our size, you know, at that point we were the largest privately held cannabis company in the U S uh, no matter in, in, in regards to revenue and, and licenses, um, companies started coming to us and giving us offers, uh, to, to merge or, you know, purchase the company. And uh, at that time, you know, we, we decided that we thought that the best use of the capital that we had and the license that we had was to, to merge our company with a strategic uh, public cannabis company to create, you know, one of the largest de facto cannabis companies in the U.S. Because we thought, you know, we believe that ultimately, you know, that will create the best exit. So at that point, we started doing the dance with all of these different types of cannabis companies, um, you know, that to merge. And then how, how did that happen? Because obviously, you know, Harvest was eventually the, the one that you guys, you know, like decided and, you know, the transaction happened. But what's that process like? Yeah, so, so the process was, it was really interesting. You know, you, you got really close with a lot of your competitors. You kind of see like under the hood uh, how they operated. Uh, and that was really important to us was to understand how all these companies operated. Because at the core of all these, these, these big companies, you know, you, you got to have, you have to have a profitable company. And you have to be able to grow quality, you know, cannabis, you know, quality extraction, good product and good distribution, as well as win these merit-based licenses. You know, as I, as I just mentioned, you know, these licenses now cost upwards of $20 million. However, if you can win them through an application process, 
it might only cost you $200,000 all in. So it's really important to win these licenses on, from a merit-based process. So after going through all the different cannabis companies we could potentially merge at, as well as uh, analyzing the footprint, you know, which companies didn't have duplicative assets as us, you know, we ultimately, you know, landed on Harvest because like us, Harvest is extremely well at, uh, they do extremely well at winning these merit-based licenses. And what they had was a huge West Coast presence. And, you know, we had a solid East Coast presence. And when you put the two companies together, there was not a lot of over overlapping assets. That's amazing. So then how big was the transaction? Yeah, so at that time, it was an $850 million uh, transaction, uh, which was the largest transaction in the cannabis space at that time uh, to, to merge the two companies. And uh, yeah, that, that's where we're at. That's amazing. How does the road ahead uh, look like? You know, like how do you... The road ahead, the road ahead looks good. You know, you know, the, 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 the policy is continuously changing in the U.S. Uh, you know, we believe that there's catalysts coming very soon whether it's a safe banking act, uh, you know, we do believe federal legalizations, you know, not far off in the future, but, you know, we, once the banking acts uh, in, in access to capital starts freeing up, uh, you know, we think the industries is can continue to open up, you know, and as I said, you know, there's patient numbers arising in every single state, the stigma is reducing every day, more states are coming online, uh, you know, even deeply Republican Southern states are coming online with, you know, uh, medical cannabis programs. And on top of it, you know, there's a, you know, a lot of these states are flipping to recreational. Uh, so, you know, we, we think that the future is really, really bright uh, for the cannabis industry and especially, you know, uh, with the footprint that we have. Very cool. And there's two events, obviously, that that really shaped your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, and I want to get, you know, your thoughts and and more specifically what you learned out of them. So obviously, one, you know, like uh, we were talking about the, the fundraising and and all the different issues as well with the, with the deals that you had when structuring these things together. You know, there was probably a thousand times where you wanted to give up. What do you think, you know, at the end of the day, didn't allow you to give up and to continue moving forward? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it, it, it really was, it was the desire to succeed and in, in just, in just not giving up and just not taking no for an answer. There were so many times, as you said, that, uh, you know, you, you could have quit or given up or, or thrown in the towel. Uh, but I, I truly believed in this opportunity and I, I believed in this industry and I, I just wasn't going to take no for an answer. Um, and it just, just, just kept on really going and, and plugging away and, uh, just, you know, just continuing forward in, in the pursuit of, you know, putting the company together and creating a solid brand and, you know, bringing health and wellness to patients. You know, I had seen, you know, when, when you stand in our dispensaries today, and you talk to the patients and you realize that people are, you know, instead of taking opioids or they're taking cannabis, instead of taking, you know, sleeping pills, they're taking cannabis for PTSD, they're taking cannabis, that you're changing lives. And I think that that mixed with the desire to succeed and to be able to change lives just, just kept me going the, uh, the entire time. Very cool. And then the other experience that obviously, you know, played a, a key role as well is that you know, unfortunately, you, you picked the wrong person to, to go at it on, on, on one of the phases of the journey. So I guess, what did you learn about, you know, picking the right partners and how to go about it? Yeah. So through the journey, you know, we had, we had uh, a couple of different partners that we had to part ways with. And, you know, it's, it's really, you know, what I would say to any listener, it's really important to pick, you know, the, the right partner and, and to really make sure that you guys are on the same page and, and to do like a deep dive of due diligence into who, you know, who you're going into business with. Uh, you know, it's, it's basically becomes your family and you have to be aligned on, on all levels, 
in order to succeed because you're going to be hit with a lot of tough times and, and a lot of difficult decisions. And if, you know, if you're on the same page, it can go really well. And if you're not on the same page, you know, it could, it could almost, it could take you down. Yeah. And this has been obviously um, a really incredible ride for you. Uh, obviously, you know, with the highs and, and with the lows, but I guess, you know, like a, a journey where you've been able to learn a lot. And, and there's one of the questions that I typically ask the, the guests that come on the show. And that is that if you had the opportunity to speak to your younger self, your younger self that it's, let's say, thinking about starting a business, you know, what would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to yourself before launching a business and, and why? The, you know, the advice to myself, you know, in, you know, an overnight success takes, takes a long time and there's, there's no, uh, get rich quick scheme. You know, you really have to put in your time and your due diligence on anything you do. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta work harder than you can ever imagine. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think for the, especially for the young generation, now we see all these, you know, whether these, these quick schemes to try to make money, but at the end of the day, it, it's all about just, you know, it, it's working hard, uh, working, uh, working smart, uh, in really going after the, you know, opportunities that you believe that are in growth industries. I love it. I love it. And for the folks that are listening, Sam, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah. So you can find us at, uh, info at verano.holdings. Uh, as well as my Instagram, uh, Sammy Dorf on Instagram, feel free to follow, uh, DM me with any questions regarding the cannabis industry, uh, any advice uh, I can give, uh, feel free to reach out. Fantastic. Sam, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. And thank you very much for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.